morning, everyone. Welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast, recorded live at the 12th edition of Untitled Art in Miami Beach. My name is Anichka. I do exhibitor relations and communications with the fair. This year is a very special for us because we have welcomed the Sotheby's Institute of Art on board as our very first education partner. Since its inception, using the fair as a platform for discovering art in accessible and engaging opportunities has been part of Untitled Art's core mission. It has been a pleasure collaborating with the SIA team. The Institute has campuses in New York and London and is one of the world's leading institutions for the study of art business and the object-based study of art. In conjunction with their programmatic partnership, a quick note to all listeners that SIA is offering our audience a discount on their professional courses, both online and in person. Make sure to check out our posts on Instagram and updates we've sent via newsletter. Now let's get into it. Recording live today, the Institute has curated a suite of three discussions with industry experts in line with Untitled Arts 2023 curatorial focuses, gender equality in the arts and curating in the digital age. To start us off, I am delighted to introduce Anne-Marie Richards, who will be in conversation with these three powerhouse women, Agnes Baretz, Jenna Ferry, and Madison Esty. Anne-Marie is a fine art asset and design specialist, art historian, curator, author, and advisor. Before assuming the program director role at SIA, she was executive vice president at Ger Johns. She has extensively lectured on the topics of retrospective and emerging art markets, connoisseurship, collecting, conservation, provenance, and the related subtleties of appraising fine and decorative arts and design from notable institutions like Columbia, the American Association of Museums, the Met, Pratt, and many more. Not only that, but many exhibitions she has curated have been favorably reviewed by the likes of the New York Times, Art News, Art Times Russia, and Korea Times. She is also, of course, an author, and Marie, it's a pleasure to hand over the mic to you to get us started. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you very much, Nushka. It's my pleasure to be here today, and thank you very much for attending this panel on the topic of the market for art by women. I am delighted uh, to introduce you to my wonderful uh, colleagues, uh, Jenna Farray to my immediate left. Jenna is a gallerist who founded Trotter and Schaller Gallery in 2020. The gallery is located on the Lower East Side in New York City. Jenna holds a PhD focused on multiculturalism and religious diversity from the University of Calgary and a master's degree in art business from Sotheby's Institute of Art. In addition to art, Jenna's professional experience spans the energy industry, nonprofit work with the United Nations in India and on air radio. Thank you very much, Jenna, for being here today. Thank you for having me. And in the center, we have Madison Etsy. Madison is an art world professional with seven years of experience and is currently a sales associate at Hyman Reed. She has previously worked at galleries such as David's Werner and Gagosian, as well as Pursuits Inc. Art Advisory. She received her bachelor's from Georgetown University in Art History and Economics, as well as a Master in Arts Business from Sotheby's Institute of Art, specializing in post-war and contemporary art. Her expertise in contemporary art encompasses primary and secondary market sales, client development, sales strategy, and artist liaising. At Hyman Reed, her unique interdepartmental responsibilities within the sales team 
have owned her eye for detail as well as her big picture understanding of the international art market. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Madison. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, my incredible colleague, Agnes Berez, who's an historian and critic of modern and contemporary art, born in Budapest. She received her doctorate from the Panthéon Sorbonne in Paris. She is the author of the monographic study Simon Tailly and 100 Years, 100 Artworks, A History of Modern and Contemporary Art, published in 2019. Her writings were published, amongst other, in Art Journal, Art in America, Art Margins, Yale University Art Gallery Bulletin, and um, a plethora of other European and U.S. exhibition catalogs. She is on the faculty of Sotheby's Institute of Art and the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, as well as a lecturer at MoMA. Thank you very much also, Agnes, for being here Thank today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Nice to meet you. So our topic today is, um, is quite wide. Uh, we are going to be discussing uh, the state of the art market for art by women. And uh, I'd just like to start by saying, uh, just giving you a little bit of data, but in the United States, um, Women Vote was passed by Congress in 1919 and was ratified in 1920. And 1920 is when um, legally um, women were guaranteed the right to vote in the United States. And so just by starting with this piece of information, uh, it might explain why it's taking the world so long um, to catch up to uh, her history as opposed to art history. So on that note, um, let's start. Oh, thank you very much. Um, the market has uh, developed uh, quite significantly in the last, uh, I would say, decade. Uh, we can now say that there's several women artists that have crossed the 10 million mark at auction. I'm not talking about the primary market, but the secondary market. Um, you know, leaded by Georgia O'Keeffe with uh, a 30, $34 million sale for a $54 million sale for Jimson Weed. Um, Louise Bourgeois Spider achieving $32 million. Frida Kahlo as well as, uh, is in that group. Joan Mitchell. Uh, and then you go down to, um, you know, Tamara de Libinka, Art Deco, period, 20 million. And then you have the, I'll call it the $10 million club, Natalia Goncharova, Berthe Morisot, Barbara Epworth, Lee Krasner, Agnes Martin, Julie Meretu, Jenny Seville, Katie Nolan. And then it drops down to the million dollar club. <laughs> but that's still a huge leap forwards in terms of art market. It's still very little if we compare to what male artists achieve at auction and how they are represented uh, in primary art galleries. So my, my question to each of you is, do women dealer champion women artists? <laughs> I'm gonna leave the dealer here to respond because, but I have a lot to say about that. So Jenna, you go and then the two of you go, yeah. 
Sure, uh, I'll uh, step in. I think women dealers uh, do often champion women artists, and I think that in conversations I'm having with women who are gallerists right now, it is a major focus, uh, but it's a challenge. Um, I know that anecdotally, I personally have had more success with my male artists, and that's something that I've, I continue to find challenging and um, and something that we're really working hard to, to overcome. And I think, you know, when we're looking at auction results um, and then thinking about the primary market, there's, there's still so much ground to make up in, in both areas. Agnes. Even if women would be showing more women, what very often happens, as we know historically, very often the male dealers take away the women and then, you know, the inequality or the lack of parity re-enters the market. Uh, but I do think that, especially in Europe, uh, there are now a very pronounced desire and also a growing practice by women dealers. Pilar Corias, Pippi uh, Hootsworthy, whose gallery is only Pilar Corias' uh, roster of artists consists of 80-82% of women artists. Um, Pippi's whole show or whole program is now led by female artists. So I think that if dealers consider their job or their work as a form of social political activism, as an instrument of parity, future parity, that can change things. And there is this discrepancy which I always tell to my students that, you know, the most radical dealers in the history of post-war contemporary art but even we can go back a little bit earlier, both in Europe and the Americas, in plural, have been women. In Paris, it's uh, Denise René, it's Iris Claire. In New York, it's Betty Parsons, Martha Jackson. Uh, women dealers always been at the very forefront of shaping, constructing, framing, theorizing new artist work, tendencies, and movements. And that's also women dealers themselves <laughs> are part of this unequal game because their work, their history, their contribution has been for long ignored. And everyone knows Sidney Janis, but very few people knows Betty Parsons. Everyone knows Leo Castelli, but how about Martha Jackson? So, and that started to change recently. Uh, Julie Verne, who, work, uh, Verlain, who works in Paris, she started, she published a book about women dealers. There's a Women Collectors and Dealers Association. So during the past five to six years, I think that there is a both historical work and positive contemporary change. So I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm thinking also of um, Amoma giving a show uh, for Elena Sonneband and uh, the very large uh, exposition at, in DC for the Dwan Gallery, yes, uh, which was really seminal, it's a huge brick. Yes. Um, but it doesn't necessarily translate into, I'm thinking about the provenance, it doesn't necessarily translate to very high prices for the artists that they champion. But good point, it does, you know, things are changing uh, as we go. So how do we explain the gender gap? Uh, we talked about this for quite a bit the other day. Um, I think it's, it's pretty obvious it's not just social and economical, it's also quite political. And the fact, I always go back to 1920, that the seminal date where 
women were finally recognized as human beings that could vote. So, <laughs> uh, a question I'd like to, to ask Madison, as she's worked at Gagosian and Zwerner, now Hyman Reed. Um, from the gallery perspective and being in sales and all that, do you find that art by women is collected by women or by men? Is there a gender disparity there? Um, sure, I'm happy to ask, answer that question. And I just want to provide a little bit of context about Chime and Reed specifically in their program, which is I think that John and Howard are actually unique in the program that they've curated because they actually worked with Joan Mitchell, Linda Benglis, Louise Bourgeois, um, not because they were female artists, but because they just really believed in their practices, which I think is a unique, um, you know, action on their part. Um, this is interesting because, you know, Joan Mitchell was selling for 60,000 when de Kooning was selling for 300,000, even though that at the time in the 60s, 70s, they were arguably at the same quality of artists, but they weren't recognized in the market by collectors that way. Um, and I think that that goes into when you go back in time, there was not as much investment in female artists and people were still recognizing their talent. Um, catching up to today, you know, I think there's an interesting and also like a careful action you have to take about acquiring an artist because of, you know, because they're female or, you know, what they're doing. I think investigating what their practice is, if it is about the experience of being a female, if it's about abstract painting or delving into painting, those are all interesting questions. I think that we have, you know, a range of collectors who are always interested in these artists, um, these very strong female artists who have just proven over and over again their talent, their ability to, to work um, and perfect their practice. I think even with the Joan Mitchell Monet show that was at the Louis Vuitton Foundation, um, you know, finally more and more her recognition is, is happening. And there are a few people who have believed it ever since they saw her work. Um, so I think there's catching up to do, and I think as people are recognizing it more, there's a whole range of collectors who are just interested in these very, very talented artists. Yeah, and I think that uh, goes a little bit back to what you're saying about some of these institutional shows and what that means for the market. I think as we're m moving into maybe a new wave of feminism or a new wave of intersectionality, um, often it's the artists who are leading the way. They're the people who are creating the culture first and who are pointing out things and who are, who are challenging the viewers. And then the curators and institutions, um, I think have a really important role to play in amplifying those messages. And I think it's the responsibility then of gallerists and also collectors to really work to make sure that we're thinking about what is significant in culture now and looking back at what we've missed, not just for women, but for, you know, artists of color, artists from um, regions of the world that didn't get the same attention um, that European art, male artists have been getting consistently. And, and we're living that moment right now. Um, for those of you who went to the collector's preview yesterday at uh, UBS Art Basel, it was really a smorgasbord of all nations, all colors, all different periods, and very, very much... Um, with an emphasis on, on women art. And it was, it was refreshing. It's the first time, I've been coming to this fair for many, many years, so the first time where I didn't see this kind of um, dealer booth with collect by the numbers of, you know, the, the Warhol, the Lichterstein, the Coons, you know, it, it just felt very, very refreshing. 
And that's an important cultural moment for the, for the market and also for everybody else, for all the curators that are walking through um, these fairs. Uh, just a word on that. You said that, you know, women artists work changes and has a wide range, right? Some artists work with their own gender, some not at all. Um, about that, I don't really care what the work is. I think that there is a certain boldness which is required here. If it's done by someone who identifies as a female, it needs to be supported to correct a very long kind of, you know, hiatus and underrepresentation, number one. Number two, um, also, I don't care if someone believes in honestly and genuinely in the politically informed shift which needs to happen, also to reflect the art world when there are way more women, both among artists, dealers, and slowly but very surely also collectors, right? Women are in a position of power without sometimes realizing. So I don't care if someone is doing it because it really committed politically or just mere empty virtue signaling. I don't care. Just show more women artists, write more monographs about women artists, good monographs, good ones, which are, we are in dire need of those, serious original creative work on women's artists, and buy the work. So, because when we start to kind of, the nuance always undermines. When we start to get, I'm all about nuance when it comes to thinking about cultural artifacts, but I think that this is one of those moments when it's not a question of nuance. It should be just, you know, go and buy women. And I think that point of, of buy the work is, is really key because that is what allows women to continue to make work and to continue to develop their ideas and continue to contribute to, to the canon. And, you know, when we're seeing these big auction results, those are heartening and it's great that women are, are being recognized. But the reality is that that is going back to the collector. The people who are making money there are often still Collectors. men. Yes. Um, and so I think supporting um, current contemporary female artists is really, really important to shifting the broader culture, not just in the art world, but generally as we're moving into new ways of understanding uh, gender and equality and intersectionality. I think it's important that we support that. Speaking, now? speaking of which, it's, I was thinking about this because it comes up often in discussions about gender that women artists don't get, and it's all about primary market and museum representation, that until the primary market for women are not more pronounced and more robust, and until women in their mid-30s don't get major early career or mid-career retrospectives at major museums, you still have to be late 60s, late 70s, early 80s to get a major museum show. Look Carmen Herrera exactly. <laughs> is a great example of that. I am really keen yeah. on, very fond of Corey Archangel's work. Corey Archangel was in his mid-30s when he had an excellent retrospective at the Whitney Museum. Julie Meretu was in his mid-50s, has had a very strong market for 10 years, major corporate commissions, very pronounced visibility, monographs, catalogues, to get a museum retrospective. There is a 20-year gap there. And I think that the primary market, developing the primary market and working on museum representation for women artists who are in the 20s, 30s, 40s is important because we are still where Gary Rogers said, right, that you get 90, 
and suddenly <laughs> people realize that you have been making great art for 50 years. I, and I would the say... The age is still there, yeah. Yeah, but there's a lot of... Uh, it all relates to research. Uh, I remember reading a, a really long time ago that uh, Lee Bontecu had been represented by Castelli at the same time as Alicia Stein, Warhol, and all these titans of the 20th century. And, and her market never really went anywhere until recently. And she had just, she was still alive. People thought perhaps she had died because nobody ever talked about Lee Bontecu. And it turns out she was teaching at Brooklyn College uh, once her market, you know, not, nothing happened when she was with Castelli. It was just all these, these men that were being championed and not her. Um, but the refreshing, refreshing um, aspect of all that is women can be women, do art and be recognized. I, I was quite uh, happy to see that uh, last year there was a big retrospective on uh, the oeuvre of the 19th century painter Rosa Bonheur, who was an animalier, uh, who actually had to disguise herself as a man to paint the Horse Fair, which is now in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, which was gifted by Cornelius Vanderbilt. And I actually did the economics. So if we, he bought it for uh, $53,000, the equivalent of $53,000 in 1852, which was translated today as $3.5 million. But she was, you know, an exception to the rule. But now she's being rediscovered. Her atelier is open to the public. They're talking about, you know, revisiting... Uh, all, all what it means to be an animalier back then. And they, they are doing a rapprochement with contemporary painters. And it's, it's really refreshing to see that. I, it starts I, with the museums. I actually think that the historical shows had a lot to do with the last five years of relative success. There was a 10% grow in women's sales since 2018. Me Too is part of that. But shows like the Bonheur, the Bert Morrison Philadelphia, the Artemisia Gentileschi in London, last year's, one and a half year ago, the Venice Biennial, um, private collectors who are collecting only women and publishing books very recently. So the last five years was a strategic, both market, major exhibitions, global large scale exhibitions um, kind of shift. And since there will be an election next year and the market will be very cautious um, and not so romping and aggressive and violent. That's also a good year for women because unfortunately, women are much cheaper. Prices are lower. I hate to say that, it sounds perverse. Women are cheaper, right? It's terrible. Uh, prices are lower. It's a lower risk. So we can hope you guys probably will feel that, that there will be better sales for women. There's also potential for higher reward because, I mean, these uh, shifts that you're mentioning, I think are mirroring what is happening in culture. You mentioned, you know, Me Too and these other things, but we're seeing women are outnumbering men at the undergraduate level, which they have for a long time. And that is making, um, it's also changing now at the level of graduate school, where traditionally women hadn't been um, as well represented because there was that you needed to have a baby or you needed to be home and we're making space for ourselves now in a way um, that I think is only going to continue and so I mean if we're talking about buying speculatively if you can get a female artist at a good price now 20 years from now you know that could be a major thing. 
I wonder what's going to happen with the market for Marie Laurencin, who was never a popular uh, artist and is now has a, this big show at the Barnes in Philadelphia. That's, that's the big question. Are these shows beneficial for the market? Um, it, will Nan Golden's market completely change now that she's moved ship from Marion Goodman to Gagosian? Um, those are the future questions, I think, that need to be answered. There's been a lot of uh, museum retrospective on women artists. There's a, there was a big show a couple of years ago in Sao Paulo at the Museum of Art, uh, which was called, uh, I think it was called da, 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 Women Histories, Artists Before 1900. And it was an encyclopedic uh, survey of women artists prior to 1900. What's, what's happening with their market? You know, and that's a historic question. And the pendant to that show was the contemporary women. But, you know, markets are also very cultural. What is popular in Brazil might not be as popular in the United States or in Europe. So those are, those are interesting questions in terms of market, I think, for what's going to happen with, uh, with art by women. So, um... We've talked about the galleries a little bit. Um, I'd like to, being in the auction world, I'd like to talk a little bit about the auctions. But last couple of years, I've seen some auctions completely dedicated to women, but with uh, variance in, in success. Uh, there was a huge um, art by women auction at Philips. Didn't do that well a couple of years ago. Now it's doing very well. Sotheby's has had a few of those sales as well, and Christie's. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's just a trend? Do you think that the auction houses are just banking on fashion? I think to, to Agnes's point earlier, um, there needs to be some corrective action, and maybe this is part of that. But I do also fear um, sort of siloing women into this, this category of, you know, this work belongs in this auction because it's by a woman, when really it deserves to be front and center in any auction. Exactly. It should be just contemporary art. That's the problem with this issue. I mean, the question is that, you know, what, how do you designate, how do you frame the correction which is necessary? That's one thing. Number two, there is something also here. There are so many amazing women artists. So if anyone who has a political bone in their body when it comes to what to buy, there is an embarrassment of the riches. And that, I'm just kind of following up on what Jenna said, if you look at graduate schools, art programs, look at Yale, look at the Yale photography um, MFA, which used to be almost uniquely uh, male. Very few women here and there. In the last 10, 12 years, a very significant shift happened. Um, and we could go on and look at UCLA as well, uh, RISD, all the major kind of MFA programs. So I think that um, whether we feel justified, the gender distinction or not, that's a debate, that's a discussion which is context dependent. Uh, I think that auction houses sometimes do out of desperation Um, you know, things which they think it's fashionable. And if they think that an auction is... Uh, and also, they have a hard time. How do you differentiate one auction from the other? <laughs> you know, it's not that easy. So I understand that they need the gender access as a kind of help. But um, 
I don't care, as I said. Just, it, just it, show it, <laughs> just give a platform for women artists, just help the primary market especially, because if the primary market is doing better, that could shift things further. And the growth we have seen is not really in 10%, 9.4 or something, could really kind of be a little bit more significant. I, I agree, but I do think it's very important that when we are um, showing contemporary women artists, we're, we're taking the same time to contextualize their work, to research their work, to present their work in their best light, and to understand that the female experience is not uh, monolithic, it's not one thing. And so within the, um, the body of work that is being created by female artists, there's such variety and diversity and um, and difference and I think that sometimes when we do this idea even discussions about the market you know of female artists already we're kind of maybe perpetuating a problem um, that that then we're trying to solve at the same time yeah I kind of would like to write a book about the great male artist of the 21st century because, um, and if you think about di diversity or how do we just look at the wall, Petra Courtright, April Bay, Hannah Ward, Christine Sun Kim, we are sitting in a space when we have women artists whose practice is incredibly different. So yes, being a woman is not a homogenic experience. It's not the same, but it is politically speaking, and this is what you said at the very beginning, right? There should be a distinction. Yes, and just to add on to that, going back to your question, Anne-Marie, about the auctions and, you know, kind of how are they presenting artists who, female artists, and I think one interesting thing to look at is actually the type of auction, and sometimes that can be where you have the evening auction and the day auction, and I hate to label it this way, but this is an interesting way to look at where are their records being broken by female artists, and are they being auctioned in evening or day, and I think that sometimes with placement of where they're being auctioned, it, show, it makes the audience pay attention to certain artists. For example, Linda Benglis, Alice Neal, fantastic, fantastic artists, and it's up to the, to the auction house to say, this is where this artist deserves to go. And I think it's interesting to see where some of these female artists who have in the past five years moved from day auction to online auction to the evening auction. I think that looking at records is important, and I think that... For someone like Alice Neal, who deserves much more recognition than she's been getting, you know, hasn't had an auction record, or she has an auction record, but could go way higher. Um, I think that, you know, there's always these summaries of auction record, auction record, auction record, and sometimes it's, you know, although it's a record, it's actually indicative of the value and what they've contributed as an artist. And I think that that's an interesting way that we can look for these um, kind of changes from auction houses specifically. And it's interesting to think also about um, the marketing budgets that are, are spent and the way that these things are promoted. We see this a lot in women's sports. If, if marketing is there and if the same excitement is created, people will pay attention. But, uh, you know, that also starts at the industry, making sure that we're, we're dedicating the same resources to these things. I think we have to have this conversation 10 years from now. And that will be really the proof in the pudding, see if all these records have really stood the test of time. Um, and there's also so many women artists that will never have an auction record and are dropped by their dealers because the work is just not selling. So we, we still have a very, very long way to go to see will this stick or not. 
Can I say one more thing? Because um, I was thinking about this lately a lot, that we do have male stars. Um, male artists are more, have more proclivity to accept, cultivate, or promote themselves, um, or let others promote them. And for women, this is a bit harder. So Kusama's incredibly well-constructed, well-crafted public persona is very closely related to her place within the marketplace. And, um, and I do think that um, women, understandably, and for historically informed political, social reasons, have sometimes a harder time to commodify themselves, to brand themselves for a market. And we understand why is that happening, because that has been one of the burdens, right, which women have to had to get to get away from since 1920 when they became equal political subjects. So there is that too, social media, branding, uh, commodification, the image of the women artists, right, in the public eye, the construction of a public persona. And that is very, I think that gender role plays a very important role there. And uh, I do have a lot of respect for women who are reluctant to embrace that because being a commodity is being an object, and we have been fighting against that for a long, long time with a lot of force. So I would be very curious to see what happens with that, with younger people, younger generations. I'm also very curious about what's going to happen to the market for women designers, women that are ceramic artists or, you know, more nimble with wood, furniture and all that. Because if you think visual artists that are, you know, painting every day in their studios, have a hard time. Uh, women designers are absolutely ignored on so many fronts. So we have another problem here. So many problems. You know, who, who, picks, who picks the category? Who says that this chair is no longer in the design sale and is going into the contemporary art sale? You know, who picks what goes into the day sale or the online sale or the jumble sales, you know, the generalist sales that you have? You know, it's the, the problems are really at the top. Yeah. yeah, and they're a reflection of the wider cultural norms and expectations. And I think I'm hoping that as more women and, and also as more men are opening the eyes to what they're missing when these women are excluded from the conversation. I mean, we are depriving men of a fuller cultural experience as well. And so, you know, hopefully we're able to stop asking for permission and, and just take up the space that rightfully women should be taking up. Yeah, and we're still a very long way from equal pay, just saying. <laughs> so yeah. It's all related. It's all like... Or a female uh, president or, you know, yes. uh, half of the CEOs of major companies being female. So, of course, the art market is not independent from any of it. The art market is not a separate field. Whatever is happening in the social, political world where women are not equal, when there is no parity really, right? That just imprints itself. And I think that, you know, what is being needed without thinking about labels, who defines as a feminist, post-feminist, whatever, women just have to show more solidarity with each other. I think that's sort of redefining, in a way, sisterhood. Um, and be more generous, and instead of confirming um, or playing into patriarchal structures which are still dominant in our lives, they should be actively 
supporting themselves. And yes, for the very simple reason, because we are women and that should be good enough, no? And I think the art market, we should really be trying to be leaders here. I mean, the culture happens in this world and, it, and you know, we don't need to wait for the rest of society to catch up. We can push that change. Sounds good. Agreed. We still have to make a living though. I mean, the, one of the problems is if you only showed art by women, I don't know that you could survive in New York City. You know, you, you need an equal measure of... Can you, can you survive just selling women? Can you survive selling only women artists? I tried and failed. Not, not yet. <laughs> the question is, can we survive selling both too? <laughs> A little bit of men and more women. That seems to be the healthy objective which we, you should guys you know, work towards. Agreed. Well, I think um, before we go to a Q&A, Uh, one of the underlying currents of everything we discussed today um, is education. I think we have to educate um, our students and our clients or customers or our peers about these uh, potholes in the, uh, and the road to appreciating art by women. Um, it's the only way to change the culture, is to show more of it, it's to attend the shows, the Marie-Laurencin, which I don't have much interest in her work, but I'm going to go. I'm curious, because now she's being rediscovered. Maybe I'll think this is the greatest artist that's ever been exhibited. You know, more of that, and, and more writing, more scholarship is needed. One thing I noticed when I go to Europe, I go to the gift shop, the museum gift shop, there's always a full table dedicated to women artists, women collectors, women philanthropists, women muses, and I have yet to have seen that in the big, you know, at least Northeast uh, museums, be it in uh, Detroit, Cleveland, Philadelphia, or New York. And, and that's kind of a glaring lack in, in scholarship, I think, that we're living in, in the U.S. Yeah. Some words of wisdom? I, I think that going to this idea of, you know, focusing on selling women artists or not, um, I, I think there is this interesting aspect of, you know, not wanting to just, uh, like, I, I'm taking your point about female artists should be supported and there should be more resources pour, uh, poured into it. But I think I had the same thought about Jenna about not being siloed into this category, Um, and I think that there is an important way of doing it because I think that there is this catch up that we do have to play until that gap is closed. Um, I also think that there is this idea of, you know, maybe you sell only women artists because that's just all the artists that are, have really, really caught your eye and that's what piqued you, but not to have this mission of, oh, it has to only be women. Maybe it's nine women and one man because that is the best art that you know and can show and support and that's what you believe in. Um, and, and the other thing I do really want to emphasize is the importance of credibility which comes through museum exhibitions and this idea of, you know, why is this artist being shown at this age and why hasn't another female artist at this age been shown? I think that's really, really um, important. Oh, and, and to go back to this one other aspect of this estate is that My one hesitancy is 
if there have been female artists that have overlooked, are people looking back because they see it as a business opportunity? And I've always thought about that in terms of an ethical term of, oh, this artist, she was a woman, worked alongside Sam Gilliam, you know, in DC. She has an amazing body of work. Like, is this something that, you know, a gallery would want to take on because of the business opportunity? And I think there's an interesting ethical question there. Well, of, okay, well, is money going to be made here? And second of all, but is that also going to expose her work to a whole new audience? Um, I think that's like an interesting question. But regardless, when I think about it, I think, okay, let's just show, show the work. If you're interested in the work, present it. Um, and that's, that's what you can do as, a, you know, as we are here today. More exhibitions, more curation. Yeah. And I'd like to see more empowerment of young women collectors, I think. Uh, women control the spending in America. They outspend men by quite a bit. And I think there's a um, sometimes a fear or a hesitancy to make the wrong decision or to, you know, buying art feels intimidating. And I think that as young women are deciding to spend their money more and more, their hard-earned money that they are making after getting degrees and master's degrees and, and taking over, um, they should feel empowered to be the people who are going to set the trends in the art world and who are going to make the decisions and, um, and help to create the new culture. Couldn't agree more. Agnes? Yes. No, that's a very good last word. I think less shoe, more art for women to spend money on. I think that that maybe is both. a... Or maybe both. A little bit of shoe, but more art for sure. I think that that's a good last word before we open it up for the audience. If there is a question. Any questions from the audience? Yeah, um, one question in my mind is that there's a mountains of exhibitions and shows for female artists already. But the problem is that these shows, I think they haven't been really captured enough attention from the public. So how to solve these problems? Because the, the real problem is how to capture the lasting or the deep attention from the public to those talented female artists, not just provide the exhibition. Because people attending the exhibition is just to maybe have fun, not take care about the real art at all. How do you deal with it? But it brings awareness. The shows will bring awareness. And I think one aspect we, we didn't really talk about, but is marketing. You know, markets are made. You can make a market if you have enough money. I mean, that's why the, that's why the art world is not transparent because there's a lot of, of shenanigans going on. But I think that's a really good point. Um, I think that the uh, museums, auction houses, and, and galleries, we have a responsibility to market our female artists and to um, spend the time to make sure that we're, we're bringing press in to see this work and we're doing everything we can to um, expose it to a wider audience. And to some extent, that falls on shoulders of people like me who are, who are running galleries and trying to uh, create these spaces for women. And I want to say something to that because I think that we are all a little bit kind of um, jaded by social media. Um, I think that the mass media would need to be reached because Chen Chen question was, a, was more about general audiences. If you follow Hazard and Weirds or Chemin Breed or Trottel and Schuller on Instagram, I'm already in your club. You don't have to convince me to go see your shows. I'm doing that already. I think that the mass media, um, news coverage, right? Television, 
MSNBC or CBS? Will they do the little two-minute colorful stuff about sales and women artists? Or it's going to be still the same five male artists? Or maybe five seconds on Yayoi Kusama? So I think that social media is amazing, but it creates a bubble within the art world. And I think that the next etap would be to reach more broadcast degree, large mass media outlets and platforms, because this is the larger change. And, um, and that will happen too. I agree, although I do think social media, we can uh, use that to support um, you know, on our own personal sure. social medias and, and sort of kind of create this little network that Spiderwebs out. But I agree, it's the, it's the, the coverage by the New York Times. It's the yeah, coverage it's the New York Times, it's CBS, it, those things, yeah, which I think would really shift the terrain significantly. I am on social media, Instagram, more than I ever should. So I'm not against that, but it's just a different kind of attention which needs to be generated. On that note, I think we should all follow one another <laughs> and support one another. Thank you very much for your time. I hope thank you enjoy you. the fair. And thank, you. thank you, Agnes. Thank you, Madison. Thank you, Jenna, very much.